Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. We're only going to be in six verses tonight. I'll read them out loud. You can follow along in your notes. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your heart. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to the Father. Now tonight... Um, there's only really one point and where I'm going to draw our attention to seven different um, uh, kind of uh, uh, different little parts of this passage that we just read. But I'm titling tonight the Magnificent Seven, the Magnificent Seven. That's the first line there in your note, lo- notes, the Magnificent Seven. Um, now, if you <clears throat> if you have been here at any point in time, you know that I probably if there's a scale on the teaching all the way to the preaching side, I kind of lean more towards the teaching side. Tonight's going to be a little bit more fun for me because I get to wander off into the preaching side a little bit. No, we're not going to jump and shout like the Sergio's going, oh God, what are we doing? I shouldn't have sat so close. Um, but uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll, it'll, it's going to be a, um, a, a fun message tonight, I really think. So the first one is this, is clothe yourselves in humility and forgiveness. Clothe yourselves in humility and forgiveness. Now, if you remember earlier in the series, or if you remember earlier in the book of Colossians, Paul says to all of us, he says, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are to put to death the crazy things, the evil things, the wicked desires that are in you. You are to put them to death. You can't do that on your own. That's why he gave the spirit of God to you. One of the many reasons he gave the spirit of God Um, to you and fills you so that you can fight and put to death the things of the flesh you have to do that it's not that you got saved and all of a sudden all your problems and all your wicked desires just evaporated right everybody can attest to that right you still struggle with things from time to time right you are supposed to put those things to death every day suffocate them Choke them out, drown them out, however it is that God is equipping you to put those things to death, put them to death. That is your responsibility. He's equipped you to do it. You use the tools he's given you to put that to death. In the same vein, clothe yourself in humility and forgiveness. He's saying you got to clothe you in the right things. <clears throat> um, I, uh, when I was 19, I was uh, broke as a joke, right? I came to ministry school and I had zero dollars. My parents thought I was just kind of 
you know, running around and didn't know about this ministry school thing because I had been out here for about a year. And they decided to say, hey, let's see if he's serious. So they pulled all their support, you know, financial support. So I was like, and it wasn't a lot to begin with, but I was making it at least. You know, there was a ramen and macaroni at least in the, in the cabinet, right? But so I, I, I was having really quickly to go find some work. And the, my roommate guy, he says to me, he goes, hey, I got an idea. We should apply for all these jobs. And he's the one that had the car. So I rolled with him to apply for these jobs. We tried to be uh, airline attendants. Um, I was too tall for that. I kept hitting my head on, like I would hit my head on the baggage compartments and stuff. I was too tall for that. Um, they have a height requirement, believe it or not. I'm, I'm over the height requirement. So, so was my friend, just barely. And so we had to go apply for all these other jobs. So he had this novel idea because we, we, we didn't have a job. He said, hey, I got an idea. Let's go be male models. And I thought, <laughs> now I, I, I have, I have a, a very accurate perception of myself. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm probably average or above on the good-looking scale. You know, there's no – people aren't running to me going, hey, I need you to be in this, this print ad for me, right? They don't run to me and do that. But, you know, I'm, I'm working with what I got. I'm proud of what God gave me, right? But my friend, he's got that square jaw. You know what I mean? All the girls, they look at him and be like, oh, my gosh. You know, he plays guitar. Not the piano. He has his back to you. He can, like, look at you while he plays. You know what I mean? And so all the girls are like, oh. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, bro, I don't know if I can do this. And he goes, no, just, just go. It's just taking pictures, man. You just got to sit there, kind of look at the camera with that look. You know what I mean? Like uh, that, um, that, you know, that blue magnum or whatever the, the pose is, right? They're all the same. Um, just got to look at the camera. She got my joke. Um, she, uh, you just got to look at the camera, and they'll take pictures of you, right? And I'm like, all right, bro, I'll just go. We, I mean, it can't get any worse than what we've already applied for. And so we go there, and we walk into this office, and this lady, um, she greets us, and, it's, and um, she's like, hello, darlings. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this would be my first red flag. What can I do for you? I'm like, oh, we saw your ad in the newspaper. If you're under 30, a newspaper is a thing they used to pass out to put, like, one ads and go to job, hunt for job in. You had to circle them and then call them. Um, with a phone that was connected to the wall. Um, ask your parents. Google it. There's newspapers. Um, so we, we got there. So we saw your newspaper ad. We wanted to try out for a job. And she goes, great. And she looks at us and she goes, one minute. Follow me. And so we walk into this side room. And, she, and it's dark. And there's this big room and it's dark. And she goes in there and clicks on the lights. And then clicks on the stage lights. And she has a full-blown catwalk in this other office or in this other side of the room and then she goes to the back and she goes i will turn the music on for you i'm like for me wait a minute what and she goes click and, it's like, and i'm just going oh, what just happened and she goes you will now walk for me and my friend he must have looked at me and saw all the blood rush out of my face i'm like bro i was here for pictures like, well, I wore a, the, a jacket and, like, a shirt that don't even really go together to make it look like that I had some kind of fashion sense, right? To be like, no, this is European, right? So I was like, uh, okay. Uh, and then he j I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And he looks at me and goes, bro, just do everything I do. And he stands up and walks to the catwalk. I didn't know he had done this before. So he walks up there, and what does he do? Bam. He walks out like confidence, hits him with this hip, hits him with that one. Gives him a little head turn, head turn, gives her a little nod, winks at her, and then walks back all confident. You know, and he gives a little pose at the end of the stage and then walks right off. 
And she goes, wonderful, darling. Now your turn. I was like, <laughs> the thought crossed my mind to say, I'm just his driver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I was like, oh, I might as well try it. I'm an idiot, right? So I stood up. And I walked up to that thing, and my friend sat down, and he's just looking at me like, what is about to happen? And so I just summoned all of what I thought a, a runway model should be, every J.C. Penny catalog I'd ever seen in my grandmother's house as a kid. And I'm like, I'm going to make that face. And I walked with the confidence, and at the end of it, I must have walked like an ostrich because she just looked at me. Thank you, darling. And I was, I was just like trying to do everything he did and I sat down and she goes she goes you to my friend you're great your jaw your your look your your uh, your presence the way you walk on the stage she goes I love it and she goes you <laughs> I love your hairline and I was like thank you for my hairline a compliment right and so so when, so she's she, so I did not get the male modeling gig. I'm a pastor now, right? So um, it didn't work out for me. So when I so when Paul started when I read this passage and he's talking about clothing yourself, that lady that day understood that I was not the guy who was clothing himself with a whole bunch of care. Like I come here and comfortable like jeans and a t-shirt and I don't look all grimy, but it's pretty simple, right? I'm not like coordinating the, my, the size of my hoop earring with my belt buckle or something, you know, like that. I'm not wearing penny loafers with no socks and then purposely rolling up my pants leg to make you see that I'm not wearing socks to imply that I'm cool, right? You know what I mean? Like some of these guys do. I, I didn't do all that. She knew that I was just a guy who kind of threw some stuff on to make it through the day, but she was looking for someone who would clothe themselves in a certain way. She was looking for someone who had a sense of, I'm going to take a little bit of care and a little bit more, um, uh, more insight to what I'm going to wear today than I really did. Now, I want you to picture with me a real fashion show, not goofy white guy trying to look like an ostrich walk down the, you know, the, the catwalk picture we've already kind of had a mental picture of. But think of a of a, uh, a fashion show and like not just like a, a simple one but like a highbrow one you know it's in Paris or Paris you know like or and where the people don't say how how are you good to see you they go it's so good to see you darling and they kind of give you those air kisses like on both sides of your face when you walk in and they all come in you know and there's the glitz and the glamour and the paparazzi and they're looking at all this stuff when they walk in there the people who are attending are looking at the clothes to try to get an idea for themselves that is inspired by the designer. They may look at the model and glance at them and be like, oh, she's cute. He's got the right you know, um, build for this suit or whatever. But outside of that, what they're really looking for, the people who are designers are looking for the clothes. They're coming to be inspired by what someone else put on because it was designed by an expert. Our goal is to go to our designer and say, what should I be clothing myself in? What should I be clothing my character in? Not just my body, my character, 
so that it will represent you well. Every time you leave here, you are representing something. And we have to clothe ourselves in a way that we communicate what our designer wants to be communicated. The goal is not for us to find whatever thing that we have laying around or try to look like the world. Because the world may be clothing themselves in the little cut off shorts of immorality. They may be cut, they may be maybe clothing themselves in the, the rotten uh, fabric of self-righteousness. Remember the scripture says our self-righteousness, our righteousness is as dirty, filthy rags. They may be clothing themselves with all type of unbelief, all type of hatred, all type of vile things, all type of wicked things, and prancing around in it super confident. But just because they're trying to present something and they're wearing something doesn't mean that we adhere to what they want. We adhere to the desires of our designer. We put on humility and righteousness instead of immorality. There are people in the church and who call themselves Christians and believers. There are people who want to appear like the world and so they will take aspects of their character and go man my designer wants me to wear this but i want to wear something else what would happen to one of those runway models if they went in the back and saw the outfit that was picked out for them that their designer created and said nah i got something in my trunk i'm gonna throw on what would happen you would never see that model again anywhere they'd lose a job they couldn't be trusted right a lot of believers try to do this. They want to look like the world, so they clothe themselves to look like everybody else. But the benefit of you clothing yourself differently, clothing yourself in, in humility instead of arrogance, in forgiveness instead of vengeance, the benefit of that is, is you walk around modeling what the designer intends for everyone to have. And everyone else is walking around in this broken, tattered, ripped up outfit trying to convince everybody else around them, you should dress like me so I don't feel out of place. And they see you walk in with that designer thing and go, that looks pretty good. I, my life and what I'm putting on myself is full of bitterness. I'm constantly angry. I'm full of rage and anger and, and all of these things. And, and I'm, I'm pursuing my own self-interest. But when I look at this guy who calls himself a Christian or a believer in Christ, he looks happy. It looks like he's got joy. Everything in his life is not going right. I just heard about his kid being sick. I just heard, heard about, you know, his wife is in the hospital. I just heard about her husband's brother, you know, is, was killed in a car accident tragi tragically. There's all these things going on, but there's something about that peace that person has. Maybe I should try to be clothed in that. They're not coming to you to be like, oh, you're beautiful. They're coming to ask you, what are you wearing? The goal is not to be like, I'm a model, I made it. The goal is to say, look what my designer clothed me in. It's available for you. 
Well, Matt, I know people out in the world who are trying to find other ways to pursue happiness and, and talk about humility and all this kind of stuff. Um, I know people who are out there trying things away from Christianity, away from following Jesus, that would try to be a good person and all that kind of stuff. And what would you say to that? Uh, my response is, have you ever been to the Garment District in L.A.? The Garment District, if you've never been there, is this giant row of knockoff designer everything. If you go there and you can't afford a Michael Kors bag, I don't even know who that guy is or why he's so famous, but whatever. You know what I mean? You can go down there and find a Michael Kord bag. Instead of K-O-R-S, it's K-O-R-D-S. And I guarantee you that from a distance, it may look like it, but those things always unravel and never last. When you try to do the things that God has instructed us to do by the power of his Holy Spirit, when you try to do those things in your own strength, it may look good for a little while from a distance, but eventually they unravel and they fall apart. Why? Because you cannot serve God and follow his directives without him. How do I know that? I try. I try. What he's saying is clothe yourself in humility and forgiveness. Next line of your notes. Believers in Christ need to make humility, mercy, kindness, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness fashionable. Believers in Christ need to make humility, mercy, kindness, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness fashionable. We need to wear those things proudly because they have been given to us by our designer. Notice you have the choice to clothe yourself in which way you want. The decision has been rest in your hands. If it wasn't in your hands and it automatically happened, then Paul wouldn't have said, clothe yourself, put on these things. He's telling us as believer, put these things on. Number two in your notes. The next thing that he's talking about implementing as an action in our life is give understanding. Give understanding. One of the fruits of the Spirit, listed in Galatians, is patience. But patience is also something that Paul just said to put on. Clothe yourselves and love and clothe yourselves with uh, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put that on. The reason we need that is because if you're going to take the time to understand someone and where they have come from and what they've been through, it's going to require patience. Everybody wants to help the guy who just needs one conversation, one bit of encouragement, one pat on the back, help him out one time, and they get over that hump, and then they start rolling, and we're like, yeah, that's great. It's easy to stand behind the guy at, you know, Dutch Bros., I mean, Starbucks, we got a barista here. At Starbucks, 
It's easy to stand behind and realize that there's a guy who buys a drink for $5 and he pulls $4 of cash out and forgot his wallet and goes, oh my gosh, I don't have enough. It's easy behind you if you got a full-time job to be like, here's another dollar to get him over the hump. Why? Because he's grateful. Thanks, man. And then he gets his coffee. There's a payoff. I did my good deed and they walk away. That's awesome. We need to do that. But those are the easy ones. You don't have to take understanding too deep to help somebody in that scenario. What, it, what the understanding and the patience is going to be for is for the guy who's living on the street on 15th Avenue and Bell who you're trying to help and he just wanders away from you. And there's a temptation in every single one of us to go, man, forget you then. I don't want to help you. I can take you to a shelter. I can take you to a, a place to get detoxed on drugs. Man, just, man, get out of here. It's easy to just be like, oh, you don't want the help? Then forget you. And be like, that's just some drug addict. Just some homeless guy. Or some guy don't want any help. Or you could get his name and hear the fact that his wife was killed in a car accident after his kids were older and moved out of the house. He didn't know how to handle it because he didn't have any friends and he was an empty nester. And now instead of just him and his wife after they raised their kids, it's supposed to be them together. Now it's just him. And he doesn't know how to literally make it through the night. So he drinks himself into oblivion. He drinks himself out of a job and winds up on the street. Not because he's just some stupid homeless guy who just doesn't, doesn't want any help. He's a guy who's got a story. It takes patience and understanding to get past all of that nonsense to what the real deal is. And Paul is saying, when you're dealing with each other and when you're dealing with unbelievers out in the world, just don't get to that point where you're cast in judgment. Give understanding. It would really help all of us to remember the next sign of your notes. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story, and if I, would, if I would make that statement move further, it would be this, and everybody wants to tell it. I remember a time in my own life where I was brokenhearted, wounded, knocked off course, confused, and I just wanted to go tell somebody so they would understand this guy is not just out here searching for some next opportunity or ministry or whatever. There's something deeper going on him. I just wanted someone to hear the story. And when someone did, it was wildly healing for me. We got to push past the easy ones, do the easy stuff, but be ready to give understanding. That's going to require patience to listen to somebody's story. Number three, love binds us together. Love binds us together. <clears throat> Paul references right after he talks about love binding us together, he tells, he reminds us that we are a body. As believers in Christ, we are the body of Christ. And so he kind of drew those things together. And so I thought, I wonder what holds our body together. So I did a little bit of reading and did a little bit of research. And to the next line of your notes, Ligaments, ligaments, L-I-G-A, 
M-E-N-T-S, ligaments, are bands of tissue that help connect bones, joints, and organs and hold them in place. I don't know what I thought was holding like my major organs in place, like my lungs or my heart or my stomach. I don't know if I just thought there was like an anti-gravity machine in there, just went bloop, and they just kind of like float in place. I, don't, I never really thought about it. But what holds those things in place? What keeps your heart in the right place? Ligaments. The ligaments have several important jobs to help you move properly in your physical body. They allow the joint to move in the directions it was meant to move. So this way, instead of flipping out back, back this direction. They hold bones together and make sure that joints don't twist. They stabilize muscle and bones, strengthen joints, and prevent bones from dislocating. If you're a sports person, which if you come to this church long enough, you will figure out which two teams are God's teams. <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, there you go. God's blessed, ordained, holy teams. There you go. Um, that's in, like, Matthew somewhere. <laughs> the other Matthew, mine. Um, anyway, um, uh, but if you're a sports person, you understand the importance of ligaments because you've heard a teammate or, or somebody on your team or your favorite team or the opposing team, they popped their what? Their ACL. It's a ligament. It's the back of your heel. Kobe Bryant, better than LeBron James, popped his ACL and went to the free throw line and hit two free throws and walked off the court and went to rehab unable to physically bend his foot, literally to pick it up and put it down as he walked. Why? Because the ligament snapped. It takes a long time for that ligament to be repaired. But here's the thing. Paul is telling us you are bound together by love. In this analogy, love are those ligaments. It holds things in place. It allows you to move properly it holds the body together there are more than 900 ligaments in your body they're everywhere love should be everywhere in every aspect of our of our uh, body of believers here as christian people and in our body and in our in our in our everyday life the people should see us operate and keep things together by love. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus talks about his priority for love. And he says this to his followers. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your what will prove? Your love. Um, your attendance to the weekly gathering. Your amount of money you give in an offering. The extra stuff you do to volunteer. Mm -mm. Your love. And if you're a guy in the room, I'm not talking about like the fluffy kind of let's hold hands and dance through the meadow kind of love. I'm talking about love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't delight when the wickedness happens or it rejoices when the truth wins out. It always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. That's what I'm talking about. And that is the essence and the nature of the God we serve. The fourth thing he's telling us to put in our everyday life, to, to not just be a principle, but let it be an action. Number four is peace should rule our heart. Peace should rule our heart. It's kind of hard for us in America to think about what it is to have a ruler, not like a measuring thing, like a one, like a yardstick, but a ruler, like in our in our government. <clears throat> we are a democratic republic. We're not a democracy. Um, we have our rights laid out to us in the identified in the Constitution, and that is the rule of law. It's important for us to maintain that in our nation or things go spiraling out of control. Our president is an, is an elected public servant, not a king or an emperor. If he was a king or an emperor, then a king or an emperor could step forward and make whatever rule they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted, without thinking about the burden it would put on you. This type of government, this emperor, this king, is the type of government that Christ was born into and that was going on in Rome and it was the one that Paul was under and the Colossian church. There was a guy who could just stand up and be like, um, no more color blue on Thursday. And on Thursday, if you wore the color blue, you come to be imprisoned or taxed. Guy had the ability just to make up whatever he wanted. He had advisors. That could tell him, I don't know if it's going to work out very well. Maybe you should think about that one again. But ultimately, he had the last say. And what those rules were called, what those laws were called, were decrees. He would just decree it. He'd just say it right out of his mouth. This is what we're going to do. This happened when Jesus was very young. Luke 2, 1 through 3. We see, this, um, we see a, an emperor act like this. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. He wanted to see how many people were under his domain, in his kingdom. So he didn't care that you didn't live next to, you know, live within a reasonable amount of distance from your hometown. You're from Tampa and you live in Phoenix? Guess what? Got to go back there, bro. These guys aren't on buses. They're not renting cars. They're not catching airplanes. They're walking with their family back to where they came from to register. This guy just made a decree and said, I don't care what it costs you or what it's going to take for you to implement this, this rule or this law I just threw out there. Go do it. This is the general understanding of the people that Paul is talking to. They're very familiar with how this works. They're very familiar with a kingship or an emperor. They are not familiar with the wealth of freedom that we have. 
They understand that when the king says something, that is the rule of law, and you have to do it. And if you kick against it, uh, you're probably going to be shut up one way or another. He understands how they're going to take this, and he says, peace should rule your heart. Peace. Notice he didn't say keeping the peace would rule your heart. Not getting into an argument or into a, a tense discussion with someone who doesn't believe the same way as you or, or not presenting your side. He, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the peace and not your peace or the peace that we can try to achieve on our own. He says the peace of Christ. How does the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Think about that for a second. How does it rule in your heart? In my mind, I'm looking at that going, well, if it's a ruler, then it's on the throne. And then I remembered. Can't think of it in my American mind. You got to think about it the way that they wrote it. Peace is the decree. The king is Jesus. And if peace is going to rule in our hearts, the king of our heart has to be him. That's the only way that peace rules. Why? Because he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Prince of Peace. He's the one who brings it. He's the one who gives it. He's the one who has told us, pursue peace. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. It's one of the fruits of the spirit. One of the things that's growing inside of us, that peace has to rule our hearts. Why does that peace not rule unless Christ is the king of your heart? Because you're watching this play out in real time. Why in the world are there so many people in, in our culture who are spiraling out of control? Why are there so many people who are pursuing some of the most ungodly, gross, immoral things, and they're now pushing them and opening the door and inviting children to be a participant of those. Why is that happening? Well, people don't have a sense of decency anymore. Maybe. Well, people just, you know, they weren't raised the same way. Maybe. But the ultimate problem is not who raised them. The ultimate problem is they are the king of their own heart. And if you're the king, you get to decree what goes on with you. Why, why are people demanding tolerance, demanding acceptance? Because I'm the king. I'm autonomous. I am my own person. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me that this activity is wrong, you bigot, you hate, hate, hateful person, you whoremonger, whatever. You can't tell me that because I rule my own heart. And people are even online. There's this new trend for men to address other men as king. Hey, king, go be king, man. You can be the king, but you ruling over your own heart in your own strength dressed and adorned in wickedness is going to be a wild, miserable failure. 
People are the king of their own heart. And do they have the opportunity and the right to do that? Sure. But because they view themselves as they are God, they are the ones. There's nothing after this. I'm going to pursue every hedonistic, every selfish, lustful desire that I have in my heart. I'm going to pursue those things, and I'm going to pursue them all the way to the end because I'm the king, and I've said this is how it's going to be in my life, so everybody's got to submit to what I want. You're watching a nation of people reject God as their king and put themselves as the king of their heart. And we're watching what happens when we serve and worship us. We don't bow with the cross anymore. We bow with the mirror. That's who I serve. Not understanding that if you're serving you, in an unseen space, you're being wildly manipulated. The enemy has influences all over the people who are not gods. Yes, descend into lower forms of immoral, gross, disgusting, mutilating behavior. Go ahead. And at the end of it, no one advertises the regrets of those who are the king and follow their own self and not God. Those people are growing wildly in number. I regret doing just whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I regret not listening to the people that were put in my life to give me guidance and wisdom. I regret rejecting them. I regret rejecting the gospel. I, reje I, I regret regr um, rejecting all the stuff that people tried to give me as a child because I wanted to be the king of my own heart. But when Jesus is king, when he's the one who rules, when your designer and your creator is your king, he gives you the instructions of how to live. And then if you follow those instructions, it's not because he's some stuck up prude who doesn't want you to have any fun. He's going, you were designed to operate this way. So operate this way and stay free from the ramifications of all this wicked, crazy, immoral behavior. Matt, I've heard that God's my father. I've heard he's my creator, but my king? Mm -hmm. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.17, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Point, period, mic drop, end of sentence. He's the king. The fifth thing we got to remember from this passage, counsel each other with God's wisdom. Counsel each other with God's wisdom. If someone comes to you with a problem and says, what should I do? Does this say give them a cliched answer? Hey, bro, keep your chin up, man. gonna get better the sun will come out tomorrow bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow 
there will be sun. You can even sing that to somebody, right? Does it say do all those kind of things? No. Does it say to advise people on what we think they should do? This is an epidemic in the church. Well, if that was me, I would. You don't know what you would do because you ain't in their spot. Does it say for us to point them to a secular philosopher? Does it say to point them to a thought leader or guru? It says we are to give them, we are to give them God's wisdom. So there's something that's implied there. You cannot give what you do not have. Let me prove it to you. Somebody in this room run up here and put in my hands in cash $5 million. Anybody got an extra five mil laying around? Nobody? Even if you did, you'd be like, I don't know, bro. I mean, you could. But none of us got an extra five million? I'll raise my hand. I don't have an extra five million. Nobody? You can't give what you don't have. As bad as you want to, you cannot give what you do not have. And if you don't have God's wisdom, you're not going to be able to give it. So if you're in a scenario where you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know how to act, you don't know the decision to make, you don't know which route to take, you don't know how to tell somebody who's struggling what is the best thing for them to do, you don't know what to say, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Huh? Call Matt. Call Matt, right, thank you very much. Yes, yes, I'm changing my number tomorrow. I'm kidding. You can call and ask for help. Call a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, to ask him, yes. But guess what you're supposed to do? James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Let me put that in a little bit of a modern terminology for you. You don't know what to do? You don't know where to go? You don't know which college to attend? You don't know which job to take? You don't know how to help somebody who's going through a relational problem? Go to God and ask him. God, can you help me give this person the right thing, not from me, but from you? Can you give me a verse? Can you give me a, a passage? Can you give me something to pray? Can you give me something to say to them? And, and when you go to him, he's not going to look at you and be like, dude, you don't know? Stupid. Moron. Why are you coming asking me this? How many times have I told you this before? He doesn't do that to you. He will not rebuke you. He goes, you don't know? You're coming to me, and I will tell you. How is he going to tell you? He might remind you of a verse that you heard during this message. He might or, or remind you of a song that you heard sung that had, a, had, had, a, had a, a verse attached to it. He might remind you of a verse that you read on your own time. He might remind you of some advice someone gave you that really helped you to give someone. He might give you something completely new. He will give it however he wants to, but you are supposed to ask him because he wants to give it to you. Are there moments he will use whoever's sitting here to preach and teach to give you nuggets of wisdom? Sure, but that is not the requirement. The requirement is you go to him and then he gives it to you. 
And then when you're growing in wisdom, guess who else that helps? The guy who's here. It helps each other. We're supposed to be counseling each other with God's wisdom, not our own. Last two. Number six, sing to God with cheerful hearts. Sing to God with cheerful hearts. This is, um, uh, you know, something that me and Nina have a very long history with. We have a very extensive background in the music industry. Um, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but any uh, Christian music that's out there that is presented by a company, um, they don't care what it says or what it does. They care if it sells. The people who are running it don't care if the people who are singing are living the life that, of what they're singing about, that it's faith and encouraging. And you say a couple of these five keywords, no joke, in your song, then we'll get you radio play and we'll get you on the circuit to where you might be able to do concerts with some of the big boys and then kind of rise to the top. It is a genre. It is a sales ploy. They don't care about what the content of the song is. They don't care if it's um, a contra a controversial. They don't care if it's, if it's some leaning, some direction or other. They could care less. They want it to sell. What this means is anything that's called Christian music may not be something that you still want to participate in. Just because it carries that title, just because it carries that label, just because it carries that, that uh, genre tag doesn't mean that it's something you should take. There is a process and a discussion that happens every week. Sometimes it's a short discussion. Sometimes it's a long discussion where we go through the songs we're about to sing here and we forget the melody. I like where that harmony is. The band comes in really big there. I get goosebumps. No, what does it say? And there are certain songs we will not sing here because it does not represent and honor or reflect the scripture properly. There are songs that are focused on you, but worship has nothing to do with you. Doesn't matter if you got the goosebumps or feel it. Like today, it was rich and thick in here. Doesn't matter if that happened. We give God what is his regardless. That feeling is a bonus. It doesn't mean that something that's all just that, that is labeled as secular is automatically just out. Sales. That's all they're cared about. You got to look at the character of the person singing and what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're presenting in their music. Matt, come on. This is too much work. I got to look at all that. I just like the groove, man. I just like the music. I just like how I like the melody. I like how it does. I don't care that it talks about beating women and getting arrested and, you know, selling drugs to my friends and winding back up in jail and being shot nine times or whatever happened. You know what I mean? Like, and then, and then I'm standing here. Yeah, I'm a conqueror. Yeah, I made it. Well, so what? I'm glad you're still breathing so you can find Jesus, but cut all that nonsense out. But, but I like the beat, man. Stop. In the same way, you can't look at the Christian thing and be like, oh, man, it's going to be good. Case in point, Nina and I played a Christian playlist from YouTube this past Friday, two days ago at Youth, and the second song was about America. It was on a Christian hip-hop playlist. 
And it was all about when did people become snowflakes? How can you vote for this guy? What happened to America? God, God we struck is still on the money. Okay, I understand that, but that's not gospel. The Bible wasn't written dipped in red, white, and blue. I'm thankful for the nation, but we can't keep combining these two things. We got to look at the message of everything that we put inside of us. But it's too easy. I like it. It is easy. It's very easy to slide down that road. But you've been strengthened by the power of God, if you're a believer, to stand against it. So why does he saying, sing to God with cheerful with a cheerful heart, what is he saying to sing? He talks about psalms, he talks about hymns, and spiritual songs. He's saying songs that are accurate to who God is and what his word says. Why are Christian songs important? Four little bullet points here. Christian songs are take-home theology. Christian songs are take-home theology. You can wrap a point about God into a melody and people will hum it and sing it, and it will just resonate with them for a long time. It's like a doggy bag after a meal. I'm taking this home with me because I'm going to keep, keep chewing on it later. Second thing, Christian songs remind us of God's goodness. They remind us of God's goodness. The third thing, they assist us in filling our lives with the message of Christ. They assist us in filling our lives with the message of Christ. And Christian songs, the last one, are a tool in fighting sin. A tool in fighting sin. Well, how does that work? Do you think that if, you'll, if, you're, if, if the songs that you're singing are, um, I belong to you, Lord, I belong to you, you called me by name and I am yours, do you think if that is resonating in you, do you think if... Um, he is Alpha and Omega? Do you think if um, um, uh, you're worthy of it all, if you think those things are rattling around in your heart and in your spirit and your mind that you're going to wander off into lust? No. You are using a tool to put that thing to death and at the same time honor God. Very powerful tool music is. Next on your notes, singing reflects the contents of your heart. How do I know? I am a wild believer that older music is better than this new stuff that's out today. Now, you could be like, you old boomer, get off my lawn. That's what you sound like, right? But just, as a musician, quality of music, production, vocals, all that, better the generation before. But... If I go back and read the lyrics of some of those songs that I was <laughs> running around in my 1977 Pontiac Firebird with no air conditioning, with the windows rolled down in Florida where it was more muggy than it is today here, I start reading some of those, I go, I had no idea. And the more comfortable we become with the message, the more we justify the contents of the song, the more we allow it to come out of our mouth. If you are comfortable singing about 
women in a derogatory manner. About the way you look at men as a derogatory manner. If you're comfortable about, about talking about um, all of the, the lifestyle of sin and wickedness. If you're comfortable with that coming out of your mouth, it's because you probably ingest it a lot. And the more you take it in, the more you'll justify what comes out here. Notice that he puts singing as a tool to combat sin. The last one. <clears throat> last thing he mentions here is representing Christ well. And everything you do and everything you say, represent Christ well. Have you ever had a family member tell you um, these sayings? You, probably, you might be my generation to have your parents tell you this, and, or maybe you pass this on to your kids. But have you ever had a, a, a parent or a relative, somebody tell you, act right when you go out in public? Yeah, I got I got a nod from Elijah on that one. Okay, cool. Um, like, act right when you go out there. When you're about to go to somebody's house. Okay, listen to me. You say yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Be respectful. Don't yell. Do not run in them people's house. Don't chew with your mouth open. And for the love of God, don't clog the toilet. Right? Like they're giving you all these rules. Right? Anybody ever been told those things? My grandmother had a, a strange one for me, so maybe it's not you, maybe it's just some redneck thing in the South, but uh, I always had to, quote unquote, make sure I had on clean underwear before I left the house. Well, I didn't want to wear the dirty ones, like what, why did, why, why did I have to make sure I got to put on the clean ones? Because if you got in a car wreck and went to the hospital and you have wounds, what are the, what are the nurses and doctors going to do? They're going to undress you and then care for your wounds, and they're going to see that you had on dirty chonies. So put on the clean ones before you leave the house in case that happens. That was wildly specific. I know, weird to me. Anybody else have that? Anybody else tell them their parents to put under? Okay, that's just a southern thing. My bad. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, leave that, we'll, we'll leave that back in the, in the Bible belt. Um, the whole, but the whole reason of all these weird Put on clean underwear. Um, all these weird things that people would tell you, these oddly specific things, is because why? Because when you leave the house, you represent the family. They want you to represent your family. Let them know you got people. You had enough parents, had enough guts to tell you to put on the clean chonies. You, had, you, you were raised right. You were told, make sure that you... Keep your mouth closed when you chew. That you got manners. Why you come from somewhere. They want you people to know that you're representing your family. It's important. When you leave this place, the same principle is true. I'm not worried about you representing RCC, although that is a side benefit. You represent the God we serve. Exodus 20, verse 7 is one of the Ten Commandments, and I, um, I used to misunderstand this one, and that was this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I thought that meant cussing. My whole life, I thought that meant cussing. Like God's, not, God's last name isn't 
the cuss word. So if you and I thought, man, he really don't like cussing because it says if you take his name in vain, he will not hold you guiltless. He's not letting you off the hook. And so I listened to a guy who uh, was fluent in Hebrew. He's a Jewish man who who spent a lot of time going through the Old Testament and looking at these words. And he gave me a lot of insight on this one. I went and looked up these words myself. And here's what that word takes. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That word take means to bear or to represent that word vain means worthless or sinful actions so now let's put those together and fill in this last last line of your notes here do not represent the name of almighty god with worthless or sinful actions do not represent the name of Almighty God with worthless or sinful actions. That changes it quite a bit. Because if you run around, and if I run around, and we as believers run around doing wicked things and saying, it's okay because I'm a Christian. God didn't mean I shouldn't do that. He's allowing me to do this and slapping the God card on it. And acting in every kind of foolish, immoral, wicked way because I got grace and I can get forgiveness. He's saying, uh, don't be out there representing me, wearing my name, and then acting in all these crazy, wicked things. Do those things together. Because if you go out in the world and you're going to start acting wicked and you're going to do it in my name, uh, you're not getting off the hook on that one. We cannot be doing sinful things in God's name. What Paul is instructing us to do is represent him well. And how can you represent him well? You can clothe yourselves appropriately. You can give understanding. You can remember that love is the thing that binds us together. You can ensure Ensure that Christ is the king of your heart and that his decree of peace is the thing that we're following. His rule is what we're following. We can make sure that we counsel each other in God's wisdom, that we sing songs as a tool to honor God and to fight sin. And in doing so, as we get closer to him, we become like him and we represent him. These things right here that I kind of, you know, just kind of um, cleverly, you know, tried to find a way to, to describe them as the Magnificent Seven are things that Paul has laid out for us to follow regardless if we're in the Colossian church or we're in RCC. These are the behaviors of Christ followers. It's not the behavior that will lead us to getting brownie points and good graces with God. It is a life that is changed and follows Jesus as king lives in this manner. This is the freedom, the joy, the love, the understanding, the patience, the grace, the goodness that should be spread throughout his kingdom. Not the one we're trying to build for ourselves.